Lights. Camera. Cinemagic. Let's roll that intro. Roll, roll that intro. <laughs> Sing. I, okay, so I want to sing, but I won't because today's to topic is very. It's not a comedy, and it and it's not something to be laughing about. Um, you know, but things, as one of my favorite characters would say, are about to pop off. Oh snap! Oh snap! <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome everyone to another great meet of the Cinemagic Podcast with your host, that's right, me, Jonathan Gondois, and my favorite co-host, Rick Ooh. Acevedo over there. Say hi, Rick. Hello. All right. Um, uh, just just one up. Wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Is today our actual 40th? Because I think today is our 40th, and I think we made a mistake last week. Is, so this today, is our 40th? No. Is, let me ask our producer. Hey, producer! Is our is this our fortieth today? I don't remember. Man, oh, man. you're fucking oh, man. useless. I think it might be. The oh producer. man, all right. I mean, our producer is great. Make me sound great, but man, I swear. Uh, <laughs> we are not gonna diss on our producer. I made that promise like thirty episodes ago, or thirty-five now. Uh, maybe thirty. You know what really like sucks about second episode. You know what really you know what really sucks about that. The fact that, um, you know, I can't really say anything bad about him because uh, I know him fairly well. And then... You and said something bad about a producer for like the first 10 episodes, man. I know. Like every episode. Look, I don't want to reveal the realities yet. <laughs> I'll, I'll wait till the 50th one so I can tell you all the story of, of how Cinemagic came to be. Because I think we need to... I, you know what? For our 50th episode, I'm making this promise. And Jonathan, you're you're gonna back me up on this because I think this is a great idea. How did Cinemagic come to be? Sure, yeah, we could do that. We we'll do, do that. a retrospective of Retro the fifty episodes and how Cinemagic came to be. I like that. A retrospective. Yeah, and I'm gonna admit something too, since we're talking about it's our fortieth episode. Uh, it's one of the rare episodes uh, where I'm not in costume, and I'm very sad. Uh, for myself and disappointed in myself, honestly, I'm disappointed for not having a, a, a cowboy outfit. Now, there are pictures of me out there in a cowboy outfit. I've had them in the past. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Old West, but I just don't have them anymore in the move. I guess I just got rid of it, and I did not uh, know that. So when I was looking for costumes today, I was like, oh, man, I don't have my Old West costume. So uh, I am sorry. I know I've let a lot of you down out there. Uh, I do apologize for not being you, here. You've let me down severely because I feel like part, you know, my biggest expectation, one of my biggest expectations is to see an awesome costume every week. And you've done that for be either 39 or 40 weeks in a row, whatever the case may be. And on the 40th, possibly 40th week in a row, you just dropped the ball, my friend. You took that I ball did. and you had it up there. You had it up there like near the basket it was touching the room it was a championship point and you dropped it i did i did i did i have let you down um as much as cherokee bill let me down in this movie um but uh that's a different <laughs> that's a different one because the movie we're talking about today in this episode and why i said cowboy outfit is the netflix original movie the harder oh, they, they fall, fall. Yeah, and we're talking. That's what we're gonna talk about this week. Not my depressing choice of not having a costume, mm -hmm. but we are gonna talk about it. Uh, if you heard me last week, I was gushing about it. Rick said I have to see it, and now we're doing an episode about it mm -hmm. because that's that's how much I liked it. Uh, and Rick was nice enough to watch it and let me talk about it this week. And uh, I think he has his own feelings about it. Usually, again, we don't talk about these movies that much beforehand. I'll tell you. Uh, I'll tell you what I what I what I felt about film because I'm not typically like a huge western fan like I was a western fan when I was a kid but um you know with westerns a lot of the times it for you to separate between the story and the visuals can become hard because westerns was such an like oversaturating genre in the 1940s and 50s and the 30s and stuff like that that it just 
it was kind of like the equivalent of, of what we have in terms of superhero movies today. Mm-hmm. Um, that there are just so many of them. And, and, and in Westerns, it was different because Westerns were like everywhere. So mm-hmm. if you were to ask me which were my favorite Westerns, it would be like The Shootist and Unforgiven and stuff like that, where the story was like really particular. It wasn't just about shoot them up and kill them. Um, and I got to say that I'll put this right up there with those with those other two films. Um, you know, the level of artistry uh, in, in, the, in the shot, I mean, it, it was unbelievable. The opening scene really was what got to me. Um, like, it had me in tears. And look, it takes a, a little while for me to, to really cry. Like, I usually cry toward the, toward the end of any film. When I saw this, when I saw the beginning, the guys coming in with the two golden guns, pointing them at the family, at um, Matt Love when he's a little kid, and, and the mother, and stuff like that. And you got the guy with the scorpion tattoo holding um, Matt, and he sees his whole family um, slaughtered. You know what I mean? Uh, that was some powerful shit right there. You know, and, oh, to, and to that you add the fact that these are loosely based their their names are real but they're loosely based on actual characters that lived in the um, you know during the wild west I mean Nat Love actually he, he was a former slave and then became a you know a cowboy and he was alive until I believe it was 1921 1922 something yep. like that yep. so Nat mm-hmm. Love is actually an incredible like complex character and you know be, between what you read and what you see it's like there's obvious differences there's artistic liberties here but holy shit i mean yeah and i don't want to cuss too much here now because it's like i feel even dad would mess it up so let me ask you a question uh, you, you, you already started off with a curse <laughs> i don't produce it <laughs> wait no wait a second because the, okay so it took me seven minutes let me just say this to me i'm getting better i'm getting better it took me seven minutes all right all right siete minutos amigos míos um so no but i i agree with you i i'm more of a western fan than you are i didn't yeah. really watch the older like 30 40 westerns but i do know about them in the history just from knowing the history mm-hmm. of cinema mm-hmm. and knowing how much they were um, you know, uh, we all know Clint Eastwood famously gets to start doing, I don't say gets to start, but famously doing Westerns and the Man With No Name trilogy. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and the original Unforgiven and the Sergio Leone films of, uh, you know, which were basically what was called the Spaghetti Westerns, you know? Yep. Because they were done and in so Italy. I, yeah, and I'm a big fan, and I'm a big fan of Westerns. Uh, and I, and I love them loosely based on real people because a lot of them uh westerns will be loosely based on people and i always think it's funny that when we talk or think about the old west old people think of it like hundreds and hundreds of years ago but a lot of these characters they made movies from really did just die in the 20s and 30s they're really more contemporary than we think they are uh, as they lived into the 1900s i know we're in a new uh decade and rick and i are older but these are people who were alive and around and really did shape the U.S. country as we've seen them. And the Old West does. And we really romanticize it so much the way that we're romanticizing the 80s and 90s now. Um, <laughs> and really now. Uh, of, the, of the olden times and the Old West. So these stories of us going out in frontier justice and uh, uh, paving mm-hmm. our own way is such a uniquely, I don't want to say uniquely American, but it's something that is in our American very, like, bones, right, of that getting the wow. new frontier and taming it. Because for Americans, which is different probably for Europeans and other people, we settled it in the past hundred years. By settle it, of course, I mean the implications of kicking people off their land, uh, <laughs> taking all, with, with all that involved, with all that well, involved but, there. But one thing... We quote, unquote, settled it in the past hundred years. One thing that we, that we obviously... Like, you take a character from the movie like Willie Pickett. Willie Pickett was alive until uh, 1932, so he hasn't been dead for 100 years. And that, mm-hmm. you know, um, you think about these characters and what they meant to America as it was developing and changing and whatever. And 
really what you think about is the fact that it's not like we're talking about something that happened 300 years ago and we can only guesstimate. Mm-hmm. Um, America is really one of the youngest, if not the youngest countries, like developed countries in the world. You're not talking about countries that have 4,000 years worth of history or a thousand years or almost a thousand years worth of worth worth of um history after you know after the fact that you can pick from and and it's like give me a page from a history book and i can give you an entire you're talking about something like things that happened fairly recently Mm -hmm. and and you know artistic liberty is one thing but it almost feels like holy crap i'm pretty close to facts and truth to a degree i'm not gonna say that these are facts and this is truth or whatever but we're we're close to it to a degree and I, yeah. I think that's really kind of what makes it unique to me anyway i mean i was like holy shit this is because i'm, I'm one of those people that i that i like read out like I, I like to start reading and researching things like that uh like when schindler's list came out it was something that happened in the 19 uh what 40s you know mm-hmm. um whereas the holocaust yeah 1940s was like Toward the end 1930s, of the world, I think it was yeah. early 1930s. Yeah, I mean, it was. It's one of those things that when you see it, you know, you research it and you're trying to fucking, you know, to like discern what's truth and what isn't. And I think this film's right up there. It's also like a fun. It's a fun film to watch because you enjoy the action. Let's face it. I mean, holy crap! You see those golden guns. You're like, oh yeah, this is. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Before before I even get started about the actual films of uh, West, because yeah, I could gush on this film for literal hours. If you haven't noticed, uh, I said it last week. I love this film. Uh, from Rick's one, I'm guessing he's loved this film too. So we're gonna gush on this film, uh, probably for for a long while. I'm I'm gonna gush on it for a, a lot of points, but I know for me, I'm gonna gush over this film because I love westerns. I love these like historic, quote unquote historical fact that we look at in America. Um, again, very recent history for Americans. Uh, that's not World War II, because uh, you know, Hollywood does that well a lot. And Westerns is something that has gone by the wayside. As superhero movies have taken over, they're kind of uh, where they would be. Right? They're, they're, they are <laughs> modern Westerns, no doubt. Yeah, they're modern Westerns, no doubt. Uh, so, you know, if you think about, I love this, if you think about the kind of, what is the main complaint of Marvel movies? Oh, the villain of the movie tends to be the exact same as the hero, just with a different power set, and they fight. Yeah, that's Westerns. That's usually Westerns, right? Like, you know, you got your lone gunman who comes in and his own team, a group of gunslingers who are really good, to face an opposite team of gunslingers who are really good, but evil, right? He's just trying to do the exact opposite of whatever they're doing, right? So if you're like, oh, how are they Westerns? They're almost like the same thing. You really have these people with extraordinary skills who are coming in and helping people and fighting basically versions of them, right, uh, on, the, on the offshoot. So uh, you, you see that like with those Marvel movies, you see that a lot, but those are very Westerns. And we learned to love it in Westerns because that was the payoff, right? The payoff in Western was that final climactic shootout and scene between both parties or the gunmen and the, against the gang. That's what you were waiting for. That's what you wanted to see. That's where all the action really occurred. Marvel yeah. does that now. All these superhero movies do the same. And there's thing. always and up. there's always and there's always the tragic figure of um, the hero who's sometimes either too alone, or like in the case of you know, for example, uh, John Wayne and the Shootist past his prime, but has one more shootout left in him, mm-hmm. and I think that that's really what we. Um, I mean, the last Western prior to this that I watched in theaters was actually True Grit. It was the remake of True Grit with uh, Jeff Bridges. Which I liked. I did and that, that was I, great. Yeah, that was, that great. was I did. I did like the remake of that one. Uh, the last one I saw was one with Denzel and Chris Pratt. And then, um, you know, their remake of um, another Western that was based on Seven Samurai. Because a lot of things are based on Are you talking about the Magnificent Samurai. Seven? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, thank you. I don't yeah. know why. Yeah. So, it was a remake of the Magnificent Seven, which was based on Seven Samurai, but they made it into a western, which then <laughs> they remade again. Denzel remade. 
Uh, but it, here's the one thing. day we should talk about Seven Samurai because it's like it's one, yeah, it's it's so you know the, it's been ripped off so badly. Um, one thing that one thing that I think because I you know as a kid I used to watch a lot of shows, a lot of the old TV shows that were in the air. And mm-hmm. One of them was this uh, show about these cowboys that are, in, you know, they're about to get in a shootout, right? And cowboys in Mesa. They no man they um they get brought into like modern day they're just like this magical storm that brings them into modern day the show only ran for like a season uh and i forget what it was called but essentially they're like figuring out how to get um how to get what was it in new york uh like how to adjust to life in new york and then there's still action elements to it but man fucking who doesn't love a 10 gallon hat come on now oh yeah I, I i do feel that westerns from tv shows to other things are making a comeback there's like winona earp that was on sci-fi for like mm-hmm. five six seasons mm-hmm. i think that also been on netflix you're starting to see i think the genre is starting to make a comeback whether or not it's been successful i.e lone ranger magnificent seven the equal eight we've been seeing them the past couple of years like westerns are getting made and there was like a drought for a while after like really like the mid 90s they just stopped making them i think basically when superheroes kicked off they basically mm-hmm. stopped making westerns uh, <laughs> i really think that's when the matrix and superhero movies i think really just killed it the genre westerns just weren't being made for a little bit um no they little... have they have what's called like now they, they'll have like the space western which is like basically what the mandalorian is cataloged as is like yes. sort of space mm-hmm. western which you know again lone gunman heart of gold um very specific you know and i think you know being able to see this um it sort of gives you a little bit of hope for the genre although it 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 there's a you you know, because it's not something that you see anymore now, it's more unique. Therefore, I think the films were probably better made because back then it was a mill of just... Man, at one point they were making... I don't know if you ever saw this, but it was a serial with Zorro as a Western. I shit you not. He would wear a mask. I mean, he'd be dressed all in black, he'd wear a mask, but he had guns. I'm like, this isn't right, because Zoro doesn't use guns. He uses a sword. But, you know, um, yeah. it, it, you know, it's like you put a hat on anything, man, and it, it, it'll be cool, you know. Which, talking about Western Zoro, who did, uh, played by Antonio Banderas when they remade Zoro, no, right? No, I'm talking about, like, serious. No, I know the original one, but when they remade it, that was Antonio Banderas, right? When they remade the movie... Uh, one of the ten thousand movies, because like George Hamilton has been Zorro when when it when they did Zorro <laughs> the Gay Blade in nineteen eighty, uh, which was a great movie. Um, but uh, yeah, but, Antonio Banderas played Zorro in like a couple of movies. Yeah, which he's also famous for playing Desperado, right? The, uh-huh. the gunman, mm-hmm. uh, not in Desperado, uh, 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 but the gunman in that one, which was a western. Yeah, I'm bringing it all back. Uh, <laughs> so, I just want to point that out there. Just, just bring it out some movie facts and knowledge there. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I do think they are, because in the 90s, I want to say, like, ladies in the 90s, you had a renaissance of them. Uh, Robert Rodriguez Films was doing them. Uh, people were into them uh, again, and then they died off. But it was limited, though. It was very limited, because if oh. you see, again, it goes back to the reason why they were so landmark in the 90s is because they would have one or two. Like, Unforgiven is considered one of the best films ever in the history of the 90s multi-oscar winning film really cemented clint eastwood as a director even though he had already been directing for a long time but really what it was it was the fact that you know it, it was such a unique thing to see like in 1992 or 91 like a movie like unforgiven where you would have seen it in the 70s maybe the early 70s you would have seen something like that up to the early 70s or whatever but yeah it's like it's like the genre almost died really hmm. yeah so. Which, which brings us, so I should say, uh, which should bring us a little, a little history. Hollywood doesn't really have a lot of movies dealing with black cowboys. Just going to say that. Re- no. It really does not. Um, maybe, maybe a film will have a black cowboy. But all in all, it really doesn't deal with black cowboys. And in the Old West, there was tons of cowboys who were black 
Hispanic in other areas, but usually in Hollywood, we would focus on basically the white famous characters that everybody knows from Wyatt Earp to the ones that are made up uh, to others, right? But there's a long history of actual cowboys being uh, non-white. So this movie, The Harder They Fall, kind of just bringing that to the forefront. Uh, because it's, again, a, a thing, even though we talk about loving America's past and the Old West, it's, again, a thing that we don't talk about enough, is especially minority cowboys and especially black cowboys. Mm -hmm. So when this movie comes apart, where they're having an all-black cast uh, and really focusing on real cowboys, real black cowboys that existed, uh, this was a movie that, of course, I was going to see. Person who's in love with the genre, knows the history of the genre, <laughs> who's black in America, is like, I can't wait to see this movie. And I'm not saying this just because I'm black, but it is honestly a great film. All of it's great. The acting, the directing, the soundtrack, mm -hmm. all of it is amazing. Um, it's a Don't film forget the cinematography. Do not forget cinematography the cinematography is, yep. is spotless. And, you know, um, when you focus... On, an, on just an object, okay? Mm -hmm. And I go back to the opening. When you're focusing on just an object, you got to fucking make sure that that object is something that will stand out. Mm -hmm. What better object than in an Old West gun? What better object than a golden Old oh. West gun? When I saw that, to me, that was... There's multiple ways where that shot could have gone wrong. But... But here, it did not go wrong. Because it was an insanely powerful scene. Just yeah, I agree. on the basis of how the camera was moving with those particular guns. Um, you know, and I... I'm a person that I love old West guns. Like, um, I've always wanted to own one of those old West guns. Um, you know, with the, uh, with the pearl handle with the pearl color handle. Because yeah, I think yeah, yeah, awesome. I, know what you're talking about. I love that shit. But again, just the movement, it's so subtle and yet so insanely powerful, man. I absolutely think that, Holy shit, they took the cake with that. And yes, I'm cussing, but I'm cussing in a good way, damn it. Um, yeah. That's going to be our last spoiler-free, uh, from here on out, spoilers. Go and see it. Rick's recommending it. I'm recommending it. Go and see it. Here on out, we're just going to talk about the movie and spoil off. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. Yes, in that opening scene, the menacing, I do like the shot of the gun, but the menacing of Buck himself, like, right, like how you don't really see him, but you feel his presence in that opening scene. The fear that he evoked from the loving, doting father and the mother of just the looks on his face, you know, in the bleeding before he shoots them dead to understand how bad of a man he is and how imposing he is. Yeah, that was great. That was great. That's how you set up a villain. <laughs> but but it's also how you set up a hero. And, and whether you want to look at Nate as a hero or an anti-hero based on the way that he's uh, portrayed in this film, because he is portrayed as um, not as a villain later on, but you know as an outlaw. And mm -hmm. outlaws were akin to villains and everything like that. So, but you know it it's it sets up <clears throat> why. You see Nate Love as um, as this incredibly tragic figure that you want to root for and you want to love. And oh, yeah. you want him, like, the first thing that you get in your mind is, man, this isn't going to end well for somebody. Like, this is going to end in tragedy. It starts with tragedy, it ends with tragedy. That's usually like a golden rule for any film or any you know any story like there's usually a tragic ending or a tragic set of situations that doesn't give you like that full like hooray i feel so good about this moment but you become so like taken in by this one character and again it's about subtlety because it's like first thing that happens that you know you know buck does sit down you don't see buck you, you see but from behind, he mm -hmm. sits down. 
guns out. You know, dude's got big hands, so you could already tell this is, this is a big, scary motherfucker. You know, this, this yep. is a guy that you don't want to screw with on, on just a regular day. Um, you see this family. They're going to be victims. They're going to be his victims. All right? You see the father pleading. You see Nate crying, breathing hard. Mm-hmm. And the mother, too. And the mother's the first one. Like, how impactful is it that the first person that, that Nate sees die in front of him is his mother? Yep. Followed by his father, followed by him being scarred. And knowing that that scar... Because he's already mentally scarred, obviously, from seeing people die. <laughs> only father shot before him. But the physical reminder of that pain that will never go away... Like, you know, because... He has that reminder on his head. That scar will forever remind him of that day. And it's such a villainous thing to do. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, he's about to kill the kid or he's just going to leave the kid alone. But when he scarred the kid, I was like, oh, man, you get Nate. You get the man he's going to grow up to be from that physical scar on his forehead. You just get it right uh because you know you know like yeah he's if he's gonna survive you know he's gonna get revenge but that physical scar is like yeah now i get it when you see him again and he's the like i'll take risk no nonsense kill everybody screw the law you get it like right that scar is that reminder to the audience too that you get it like right <laughs> you get how far he's gonna go because as long as that guy's alive as long as all those people are alive you know that scar will never heal. Uh, I felt like that was just so good. Well, like, to me, it. to me, it was just one of those situations where it's like, okay, you thought you branded me, but really what you did was piss me off. And in pissing me off, you've set up an entire lifetime of chains of events that are not going to end well for you because as I'm reaching my prime, you'll be getting past yours. Mm-hmm. And that's really what's going to happen. At the end yep. of the day, that's what's going to happen. I'm going to mess you up. Mm -hmm. I'm going to mess you up, and you're going to know that the worst mistake that you ever made in your life was putting a cross on my forehead. It's not killing me as a kid, honestly. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> worst mistake. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we move from the opening scene, which I think is climactic and great uh i, I really do. massively well set up yeah we moved 20 years into the future and now you see where where nate is at mm -hmm. and you can already tell like nate's a badass mm -hmm. nate's a badass i mean he's 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 basically planning on how to how to with his gang rob a robbery <laughs> like like I think it was what like 25 30 grand had, had been robbed had been taken in from a hall he's like okay well now we're gonna figure out how to take this shit because I want it for me you know um, and I mean he does he does kill um, a, a member from Buck's gang in revenge but it's not Buck so no, it, you know yeah but it's interesting though now this is string I love it that Nate does get his revenge by killing the guy with the scorpion tattoo that was there but for Buck He's okay with Buck being in prison because he feels like the punishment for Buck being in prison is enough. So it, it sets up even as well as like, yes, Nate is an anti-hero, but he still believes in something. You know what I mean? Like, he's not going to go and like go into prison or kill Buck or, you know, like get him killed. He's like, yeah, Buck's in prison. That's worse enough for him. As long as he's being punished, I'm okay. And, like, right? <laughs> and I know what you're saying, and I I agree with the fact that he's set up as an anti-hero. But for me, he was a hero. Oh, and, yeah. and this is just okay. This is just a the way that I see it. I'm like, if you look at the context of an eye for an eye in the old west and shit like that, and how things used to be, he is a hero. Like, look, mm -hmm. it's it is what it is. Here, but mm -hmm. I, I actually, he is an anti-hero, but at the same time, he is a hero. I, I, for me, he's a hero anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I get him. Uh, I, I do love, okay, 
Jim, uh, Jim Beckworth, RJ Kyler's character, the little kid who wants to be the fastest, wants to prove that he's the fast. I know he's not a little kid. He just looks young. Uh, <laughs> Which, if you actually look at a picture of Jim Beckworth, Jim Beckworth looked like he was 45 from the time that he was 25. So it's one of those <laughs> things that it's like, come on, man, that much artistic freedom is not really allowed. <laughs> you, shouldn't, oh. you shouldn't do that. <laughs> uh, him, him and Bill Pickett, uh, which is also played by Eddie uh, Guthrie, Gothied, uh, mm. I think. Um, I know him best from playing when he was when I I shouldn't say I know him best, but I remember him first when he was in House, uh, and then continuing on. I followed his career afterwards, but that's when I first saw him. Uh, I loved honestly them. I love their dynamic and those two. I love their opening scenes. I do love in the cinematography how much we get from the rest of his cast because it's always hard with any ensemble cast to give everyone something to do. Uh, and we have multiple ensembles for the bad guys and the good guys mm -hmm. that they could technically get lost in the shuffle. But even with their opening scene, setting up their dynamic by robbing uh, another member of, um, uh, you know, um, Rufus Buck's gang, I thought was really good. I thought it was smart to do that. Give them their own little side stuff to do first before you see them in with everybody else. But uh, again, I, I, love the, I love the acting because all of this is so fun. I really think that he did such a great job as Jim and Bill. Jim and Bill did such a great job of uh, being realized characters. Um, I, I, I really love their back and forth, their joking, uh, their the setup for their alternate death scenes later that kind of happens in there. Uh, I, 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 I love this whole cast. I'm like, I want to gush over every single member of this cast because they're always so great. But I love their two opening ones. I, I really, really do. It was so much fun. Uh, and RJ Collar, we've seen him from mostly, um, he was in Black Lightning, but he also did um, Power Rangers. We saw him from Power Rangers. Uh, mm -hmm. He was one of the bright spots in the Power Rangers reboot movie. Uh, and I think he just kills it in this one too, uh, coming forward. I, mm. I I was so sad when he died. It was like really sad when he just got shot. It made me hate Cherokee Bill so much. Uh, <laughs> when he got shot at the shootout at the end, uh, I I wanted to. I, I was really up in arms. But uh, yeah, let's talk just about the cast for a second because I really think the cast did just great, just amazing. Yeah. Do you have any standout members for you for the cast? That's a hard question. Obviously, I love um, Andrew Selva, but I'm a fan of Andrew Selva, so that's not that's really kind of a cop out. Um, what the guy that played um, the father, um, that played the father in the opening scene, or the father in the opening scene, and here's the reason why I love that actor. Um, he was on was it stand not stand and deliver. Um, Michael Beach. Yeah, Michael Beach has done several films, and he's that guy that you know him, and you know who he is. Yep. But he did an, a phenomenal job of basically showing how much you needed to fear Buck. Mm -hmm. And to me, that stood out, and also I'm a Michael Beach fan. So he stood out to me uh, to see Michael Beach there, you know, uh, doing that early on. Um, generally speaking, I have to say it's hard to pick a standout because these performances were really good. For yeah, me, I, it's hard to, to pick a standout because I could say, I could, you know, yeah, any number of individuals and it would be like, yeah, he was really good or she was really good. It doesn't, like, it's kind of hard, you know? I get you. Jonathan Majors, the main protagonist, the one who plays Nat Love, he's having a banner year, banner couple of years, I should say, from Lovecraft Country to even playing in Loki uh, to helming this one. Uh, Jonathan Majors is really on track right now. I want to say to do no wrong. Uh, <laughs> and well, I, I, okay, so I have one particular cast member, but it, this isn't, like, I love Sazzy Beats. Oh, yeah. But I love Sazzy Beach because Sazzy Beats has the un uncanny fucking ability to just steal a movie with just the way she presents herself. And, I mean, as Stagecoach Mary, she was fucking unbelievable. But there's just something about Sazzy Beats, man. She's just magic. I, like, I, I have, she's, like, she's like my Hollywood crush, basically. <laughs> no, I'm serious. 
I'm dead serious. Like, I fell in love with her from when the time she was doing a freaking, uh, like, Deadpool. Like, she was, what to me, one of the best parts of that film and Deadpool 2. And oh, yeah. she's just, I mean, and, like, she can play anything. Like, her range, like, here she's playing Stagecoach Mary, who is a badass. But then also she, too, played, like, kind of like a, a person that was being you know, like, somewhat victimized by the Joker in the Joker film. So, she knows, like, she's got massive range, you know, um, you talk yeah, about someone who can do no wrong, Sazzy Beats can do no damn wrong. I'm yep. sorry. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. Sazzy Beats was <laughs> excellent in this. Her opposite villain, Regina King, um, I think her name would say it all. Uh, <laughs> Bro, that's, <laughs> that's the cheapest, that's the cheap, like, if, if, okay, I'm trying. Okay, so you're asking me to pick a character, and you picked like the most obvious person. No, I'm just saying for. I, uh, no, no, come on, man. I, That's like I'm the most obvious. Regina answer. King to talk about Sassy Beats. I was just gonna talk about Regina King, who kills it in this. One. Regina King. Uh, Regina King kills it. Everything she does. She does. She does. Come I on, don't man. think I get to see Regina King as a villain much. Um, I don't want to say I do. I'm, I, you know, maybe I'm missing one of her voice acting roles because she's also a prolific voice actor. Yeah, she was in Boondocks. Uh, yep, she does in Boondocks. Wait, and who did she play in Boondocks? Didn't she play right? No, I'm not Riley. Um, wasn't she Huey? Huey? Was yeah, I thought she did. No, I she thought she Huey? did Huey. Um, did she do both? I think she did multiple. She did multiple, the... but I thought she was Huey as well. Which yeah, was I the main character. Was... Huey and Riley. I'm just gonna double check on that. But Please I was like, I thought she was both. But yeah, she was Huey and Riley. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I thought she was both. But yes, yeah, she played Huey and Riley. Uh, so, which again, crazy uh, to think that she had that range. Uh, but uh, I don't think we get to see her as a villain too much. Um, I want to say the Regina King. We don't get to really see her as a villain. And so this one was one of the few times we got to see her as a villain, and I loved it. And I think that uh, I love to got to, that we got to see her villain villainous turn. Well, and the fact that she was a part of the Buck Gang, um, yeah. to me, because to me Buck is basically a heartless, rudderless character in the sense that he's he's got no real emotion. I mean, you, you kill a, a kid's mom, you got no damn uh, emotion. You you. Put a cross in his forehead with a blade you got no emotion you're like i love the way idris elba played it and there was a reason why you know i mean he did it well but it's like everyone that's associated with him has to be a badass mm -hmm. that's what the character trudy smith was to me like but it's a badass where you know i fucking hate you and I hope that you die comparatively mm. speaking I just don't like you and I don't like your gang because you're all assholes you're terrible human beings like there's nothing 100% redeeming about you in a way mm. because you're around this prick yeah yeah uh, even though I would love to see Regina King's character in more uh, stuff because I think she was great uh, uh, I, I just had, I had to mention her. Lakeith Stanley's Cherokee Bill, like I said, I loved his character, Cherokee Bill. Um, I think it was really, uh, I loved his, like, his very upper crust villainous turn. Like, you know, he's very much honorable, knows poem poetry, but will shoot someone in the back. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this honorable, not honorable thing that was going on with him. I love, I loved it so much. And I love that Cherokee Bill became a villain through his actions, especially towards the end, because I feel like you could understand Cherokee Bill. He was, especially in the opening scene, being like, hey, in the train robbery, not the opening scene, when we get to meet him with the train robbery, being very much like, hey, don't do that, son. Being very like, always trying to talk people down from pulling guns to then at the end, seeing him really being like, oh no, he's a dirtbag scum. I can definitely see why he's with the Buck King. Like that dude is a dirtbag. And when he gets finally shot, um, uh, uh, from um, uh, from Danielle Deadwaller's character, uh, Kathy or uh, Kathy, 
That was great. I loved it. I loved when he got shot. And, uh, <laughs> and then she let him know that like Jim was faster. And after she shot him, it was faster. I loved it. I loved it. Uh, God, and the whole cast was amazing. I think everyone just did such a great job of pulling it in. Um, there was another ensemble movie that uh, ensemble 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 movie that just came out. Uh, we're we're not speaking about it or reviewing it. But I'd have to say this one did a much better job of flushing out more characters of the ensemble than uh, uh, the big budget major movie did. Well, uh, because see, the problem with with ensemble movies is this: you'll always have one or two um, big stars that are playing characters that stand out that are supposed to be your lead characters, and after that, everyone is just sort of fighting for time and doesn't always have a very specific place in there you know they don't have a place that's 100 specific so like it it becomes difficult to sort of get them out there and and really um you know for you to say, okay, this character was only in for five minutes or ten minutes, but those were five or ten powerful minutes. It's hard to do, you know? It's hard mm-hmm. to do, so I think here they did it very well. You yep. know, because I'm telling you that a standout for me is a guy that dies within the first three minutes. But he's establishing what I need to know and understand about my villain. He's also, yeah. um, in a way, his sacrifice is creating what I'm seeing from my hero so you know it really is establishing good and bad and and that's equally as important in any film especially when it's an ensemble cast because to give you an example when they did trials at nuremberg one of the best performances one of the most hailed performances of trials at nuremberg was the eight minute performance by montgomery cliff as a as a as a messed up soldier from the from the nazi regiment but he got an Oscar nomination for that because those eight minutes were insanely powerful. So it's mm-hmm. one of those things where it's like, what, you know, it's not a that'll do pig moment. It's what am I getting from this scene? And mm-hmm. I think the, like, the way that Nate Love was created, right? Because you know, like, I mean, he does shoot Buck. Yep. He shoots him dead. So mm-hmm. you know that that's going to happen. But everything that leads you up to that moment has to be built. Like, there has to be a specific sequence of events that makes sense. Yeah, You know? It can't just be, well, I'm going to shoot this guy because, you know, he's a thief and I'm a thief and blah, blah, blah. No, it's something's going to build to it. Well, what the hell is that going to be? Yep. You'll find out. Yep. You know? And I and, and the ensemble on both sides, the ensemble, the ensemble, I, I, apparently I can't say that word today. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna, the chambly, uh <laughs> I'm just going to make up words. But the ensemble uh, on both sides, the heroes and the villains, I think do a good job yeah. of having powerful performances drawing you in and finding someone that i feel multiple people can relate to Absolutely. like no matter like who you are you have Absolutely. someone who you can relate to uh and so i really i really did enjoy that um i i you want to talk about the soundtrack um i mean i don't i'm not i'm not a huge soundtrack guy to be honest with you but um I do believe that the soundtrack here was was well put together. I was more into the cinematography of it, to be quite honest. So, but yeah, we can talk about the soundtrack. So I will just mention it. I think the soundtrack uh, fits it. They got, of course, some of the biggest people uh, in hip hop, from Jay Z to Kid Cudi and others, to really make the soundtrack, make it feel authentic. Uh, and again, I, I I do love it from having uh, from having a very distinct soundtrack that is very African American, very black. And putting it in for these times, it still fit and goes with. Uh, I still love it. It gives all the swagger. Well, it goes. Time. But one one thing that I have to say, one thing that I have to say about the soundtrack, and I'm not like I said, I'm usually not a huge soundtrack guy with any film, um, unless it's one of ours. 
<laughs> but one thing that I will say, one thing that I will say about the soundtrack, it um, it didn't overpower the film itself, because it yeah. did, like, first of all, pay close attention to the way the volume comes, like, like they fade in and out of stuff. It doesn't just constantly blare because some films are like some films are considered fucking loud and obnoxious because of that you know like if you got like 10,000 people screaming on top of each other in addition to adding music to that it becomes off-putting it, it's loud and off-putting the soundtrack in this film didn't go that way because I didn't actually realize they were playing rap until I heard just a little bit like that you know they were, it, it's it's a little bit up you know, it's a little bit up, a little bit more volume, but not enough to make me focus on the fact that it's rap, you know, yeah. and, and on a Western, and, and, which I was like, holy shit, this is really well done. Yes. And because it can be jarring in other films, if you have like a period piece, essentially this is, to put modern day music in it. That can be very jarring, right? So we know this and it can take people out the films. And I think they did a good job of picking things that are right and not doing that. You know what I mean? Like. Uh, giving swagger to the characters based but on that's the music hard but that's so hard to do um and yes. you, you want to talk about you want to add a little modernism to a period piece mm -hmm. right now let's think about when you bring period forward and you try to make it modern like they did with the shakespeare with leonardo dicaprio mm -hmm. and they had this soundtrack which i was like you know like don't get me wrong, the cardigans are okay and all, but I was like, okay, um, this all doesn't make sense to me. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where it's like, I get the reason. And when they actually have the opening um, sequence where you see the harder they fall as the guy's getting shot and stuff like that, even with that, the actual sound of the music is not overpowering what I'm seeing. You yep. know what I mean? And I think that whoever did that did a fucking masterful job of making sure that I can separate between the two things. You know what yep. I mean? So. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's voices. We'll talk about the cinematography since you said you want to talk about it, mm -hmm. since you're more of a cinematography guy. Let's talk about the cinematography. What do you want to say about The cinematography to me in this film, let me go point by point first of all they had a lot of like really wide shots at times those are very hard to actually make work and this was not a single like not a single motion lost when they were getting in closer on weaponry or like you know like closer contact scenes it made fucking sense they would, you know, the pans were not like, oh, well, where the hell did this come from? Because if you look at, at films where they use movement a lot, again, that's off-putting. This mm -hmm. film did not have any wasted movement. I dare you to point to a scene where there was any wasted fucking movement. Mm. Where, where you're like, oh, I'm seeing too much of this character or I'm seeing too much of, of you know, uh, like, you know, remember we were talking about Dune and there was, like, amazing, beautiful shots, but a lot of times yeah. it was just exposition. There was mm. no fucking exposition in this movie. Like, I get story from every shot, and a lot of times that's really kind of what you want, especially with a Western. You want the story to be told visually. You don't mm. just want exposition. So it's all being built a certain way to where I don't feel that any shot was, was unnecessary. Yep. And I loved, I want to bring out one moment from where you saw the town that they were staying in, right? And yeah. to that moment where they went to the all-white town to rob the bank. The imagery there from the setting, the design, the cinematography, the show, the juxtaposition between the two, I think was great storytelling without having to actually say anything, right? <laughs> they showed the juxtaposition between the two uh, and made a statement with it without actually having to say it. And I know you brought up Dune, which Dune would actually just say it rather than show it. And then they would yeah. show it, <laughs> they would say it and show it, which makes it longer. And I think you're right here. They said a lot with the cinematography and story without wasting it, without having to then explain But, but there's it. something else, but there's something else too that I think needs to really be made clear here. Um, a lot of the times, 
when you see uh, a western, all right, mm-hmm. you see a western that's um, it looks fake because the sets look the same, you know, and it almost it doesn't take you back to the period of time where it's supposed to be taking place. It takes you back to when other westerns were being made. If you don't, if you don't do it right, because there was recently a, a one with Danny Trejo. Um, can you look up Danny Trejo's IMDb? There was one that he did in like 2017 or 2018. It was a western, and it was really terrible. I think it's called Dead Again in Tombstone. Um, Dead Again in Tombstone looks... It, it, you know, I, I don't know what else to say about it um, <laughs> other than it doesn't look good. Um, but this didn't look that way. Like, the sets here, to me, didn't look overly typical. It, it, it just it felt more realistic. Like, a lot more effort was put into building something that looked real as opposed to basically just an easily staged you know western film with a back lot feel to it like this didn't have a back lot feel to it at all at least not to me you know i don't know if you got the same feel of it but that's one thing and there was I think they balanced that out by getting a lot of shots of like open land, them being in the forest. Range, range shots. Yeah, to, yeah. Like so, I think that that helped to make it not seem so stagey. Like, right? <laughs> but but you know something too, Jonathan, and they did this well. Everybody had their own look, and it was it was what I would consider to be. Um, how do I? But this the the color saturation that they had, and it had a little it had a feel of saturation. Like you got a crisper feel for everything visually, and for a lot of people that don't know about color correction, you know color correction can be the like the difference between uh, something looking completely blown out and uh, raw and something looking um, perfectly finished. And these shots were finished in a way where, I mean. You're, you're you're impressed even by the way the weaponry looks and is portrayed and it's stuff that you've seen before a thousand times because it's not like you haven't seen a golden gun or a rifle in 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 a, in a western film before no it's been featured you know but there's there's more of like you're feeling it it's more real it's just like more of texture to it I don't really know how to explain it how to break it down but you know yeah no, no, I know exactly. I know exactly what you're talking about. No. Uh, uh, so uh, I I do love the set design. I do love the colorization. Everyone did have their own unique feel. I think they did say a lot in the story just by setting it up, um, just by setting all that up, uh, uh, just with the stage and the shots. And I thought that was that was really good. I I, I, I agree. I love the action scenes to bring it to. Uh, we're talking about directing. I think the action scenes were very well done. And that fast shootout, that last shootout, wasn't boring. Like, you know, no. you, know, that, you could say that because the movie was long. It was a good, like, two hours plus. And that last it was shootout. Two, it was two hours and, like, 16, two hours and 15 minutes, something mm-hmm. like that. And that last shootout, I want to say, felt like a 20-minute, you know, last shootout, which you would think in action and shootouts, you want them to kind of be, take, you know, pick up. The action would be very quick. And they did a good job of like making the action matter, right? And making making it fun, making it thrilling, where it didn't seem to drag. So I want to give props for the action. Uh, I think the both scenes, whether because really there weren't a lot of action type scenes on here. We had the we had the um, we had the train when they try to rob the train. Yeah. When they rob the gang, when Rufus first comes in and kind of hits the dude but then we don't really have actual action again until kind of the final scene right because even when they were in the town robbing the bank most of that wasn't action they just did that through talking and until the final scene we don't actually see a lot of shooting right which may seem weird for a western to keep the action really contained but i think that speaks to its story that the story had so much in it well the story drove it 
Um, the story drove. The, the, yeah. story of it, the story drove. Here's the thing. <clears throat> if you have five people talking in a room, all right, it's just five people talking in a room, all right. You're also giving me enough visuals to where, like, if I see a range, I don't 100% know what's going to happen. A bullet might fly out at any moment, so I have, I already have that expectation. Um, you don't need to give me 25,000 action scenes for me to be like, this is exactly what, you know, no. That last conflict, and it's more realistic, but that last conflict, and then the thing with, with Nate sort of riding off into sunset, but not with, not with his buddies and stuff like that, and, you know, the grave mark with his name and all that shit, like, that in and of itself tells you there were no, not necessarily any winners in this story, but at least Nate got his revenge and his, you know, like, it, it all came around full circle for him. And it, goddamn, man, it had to. And, and, and that's what I mean for that opening scene, how that scar would never heal. It's really intimate that he, like, had to die. Like, he, he was never going to heal from who Nate Love was, right? Like, those scars were always going to be there. So he metaphorically had to literally bury that to move forward as yeah. stagecoach mary was always worried as long as buck's alive and everything that you won't be different like you know you're always going to chase that uh and so i felt that that was a good metaphorically like he has to literally die you know things had to really change uh for him to move forward and this catharsis that had to happen which again leads back to the story it's not all about the action it's about the characters and the story and i think they did such a good job of doing that with these characters now as we're getting towards the end of our time uh i'm gushing over this movie i love it i know you are is there anything that you didn't like or you think that they could have improved upon it towards the end i'm going to spend too much time on this but look i i have to say no there's nothing that i didn't like because this is this is a, a western done right it's a western based with a good really really good script um the fact that it's based on real characters makes you sort of mm. want to learn more about those characters, at least in real life. Um, it's a story that, you know, that story about finding revenge for your loved ones is a story that's been told a million times. However, mm -hmm. it's in how you tell it. It's not about the fact that, you know, everybody has a different way of telling it. And I think this film did a great job of that. I think that it was told really methodically mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it didn't create black and white good and bad meaning it didn't create like saccharine is sweet good guy and a super bitter bad guy yeah it sort of gave you those gray areas where it's like you have to figure out which side you stand on you know, yep. um, and I think that the performances did that. So it was would would there be something that I would say needed improvement? Not really. I'm sorry. I just didn't see anything that for me, for my taste, that's how I like my stories told, man. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the only thing I could say is I wanted more from the assembly. Uh, the assembly ensemble. The ensemble. I don't know. I'm having so much problem. Uh, more from the ensemble, but. Uh, that would be like, I want an hour more of the movie to flush out more of the ensemble, uh, the ensemble, and that's it. And that's not a bad thing, it's just saying I want more. I, I think um, if they would have made it maybe three hours, I think that what you're saying... Really I would have accepted three hours more if, of it. Three hours, but here's what you have to wonder, like, can they close out Nate's story as effectively with an additional 45 minutes? How it's like? How would you do that? You know what I mean? And that that oh, really oh, becomes a challenge I, at that point. But it's oh, not... and I agree a hundred percent. I agree a hundred percent. But I would love a director's cut of this film. Like if there's a director's cut with more, I'd watch it. That's all I'm saying. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you one thing though. If this if this were a three hour film, I definitely wouldn't have had the same problems that I would have with other things that you've uh, asked me to watch. <laughs> that um were terrible and i will forever hate you for as much as i love you uh and i think you're a great person i hate you uh when you did that to me um because i think it's, it was on purpose i feel like it was on purpose but this would <laughs> um definitely been something that i would have watched three hours easily yep. you know. 
no, and I agree. I, I, I want Netflix to release a director's cut. Unfortunately, we never get director's cuts of like Netflix films, but this is one I really wish they had because um, I'm I, sure they will. I don't know if there's more though. on the floor. I don't know if there's more, but I want more. So <laughs> there's got to be. Usually, usually uh, they they shoot you know yeah. like three to four hours worth of footage, and you know. Yeah. yeah. Well. We'll see. So any, as, as we're reaching like the hour marks, that's what I got to say. I'm going to wrap this up. Is there anything else you want to say about this? Anything that we didn't talk about? Anything that you want to highlight? I can go first if you need me to. Um, um, there's nothing else specifically I that I want to highlight other than um, I have a massive person size he beats. I think it's freaking beautiful and awesome. And no. no so exactly. the only thing I like to say, I like the killmonger moment that we're having, especially among black films, because when you said no one's good or white, uh, n nothing's black and white, it's more shades of gray. Buck's ultimate goal is to have a town free of white colonizers who come in and take their land and kick them off of it, mm. which is real to life of what the actual real Buck was doing. Uh, it's kind of one of those that you could see why people would follow or agree in that way versus the other. So I really did enjoy that as well. And I think they're getting more duality in that to make things not as cartoonishly villainy um, as we're used to them uh, you know, in some other movies. And I think like, like Marvel and other things, I'm liking this moment though, that we're putting more dimensions into our villains and not making them so cartoonishly. Well, I mean, because you're not, you don't have a villain you know, in this film or in a lot of the films that you're seeing now, you don't have a villain that's just freaking mindless numbskull that wants to take over the world. Look, um, sometimes the thing is we want something better and it's how we go about getting that. Some people believe in the peaceful route and other people believe that action speaks louder than words and by comparison, then they become a villain. Mm -hmm. Um... But is that person really a villain based on what you're seeing, what you're getting, you know, like looking at it in more depth. Yeah, there is more depth. But guess what? The evil character is always the one that has the most depth because they have the more reason behind what they're saying. You know, like, I mean, you talked about Marvel could you really disagree with what Thanos was saying? Yeah, no. Different story no. for a different day, but... No, I, I agree with you. What you know. Thanos' sentiment is not wrong, but he, his conclusion was wrong. <laughs> I mean, shit, if you watch, if you watch um, What If, Thanos actually, it, you know, is saying, oh. you know... That. I, I love I love what if because I love that episode of what if with Black Panther because all it said is Star Lord is the biggest prick and so if anybody if you replace Star Lord with anybody else the universe just changes <laughs> more safe. by literally just replacing Star Lord with Black Panther the universe is a better place Star Lord's a prick um. <laughs> but but you hear but you hear what uh what Thanos says he's like um, I think it's Black Panther's sister that says. Oh, no, no, one of the Dora Milaje says, um, what you're talking about is genocide. He's like, no, it's not genocide because it's random. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> that is the easiest way to take a complex logic down to almost nothing. Yeah. And it's like, hey, I'm giving you a thought process here. Think about yeah. it. Yeah. Think about uh, it. I, I, I... I do love that episode of What If, uh, the Black yeah. Panther. I just, I just love the hate on Star Lord. I think What yeah. If is all just a hate on Star Lord. Uh, <laughs> the writers there are just like, dude, I hate Star Lord. I'm gonna prove it. Uh, <laughs> that's what What If is. All of What If is just if Star Lord wasn't there and replaced by someone else, the world would be a better place. Uh, <laughs> All right, uh, so that's our discussion on The Harder They Fall. It's a guaranteed, I know we said this before, but I'm saying see it. Rick, you're going to say... 100% fucking see it. Are you kidding it. me? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just... It's, it's an easy one. Ah, uh, I'm, it's a little, a I'm a little offended <laughs> that you even asked me. <laughs> it's a little formality. See it, love it, 
Tell us on uh, all social media when you rate and review and scrap how you like this one too. Tell us uh, what Absolutely. you know. What did we miss out? Uh, we're uh, you know we're trying to keep these under an hour, so I know I'm trying to. I have so much more to say about it. I could go on for like three more hours, but we're just gonna have to cut. It um, I do. I do have something to say before we we go away. But um, we do. We are gonna be shooting final uh, shots on our upcoming project. So I think we need to give them the last um, ever uh, guesses possibility, you know, the the last possible info for guesses. So I'm, oof, this is going to be a hard one. I said, we said a lot uh, during this one. So I guess I'm going to have to do this. And I I know this is going to give it away. And I'm sorry, Rick, I'm giving it away. Aliens. There you go. Just giving the whole thing away. All right, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you one more. Uh, I'm gonna give you two more. Hmm. Um, Topo Gijo. Okay. Okay. Definitely see that. Mm-hmm. Ooh, princesses. That should be your other one. Please. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so please, uh, uh, Topo Gijo. Uh, uh, aliens and princesses. Those those are all your clues. And, and the Santa uh, Monica all the other Lord. clues. No, uh, I I feel like we just gave it away. I feel like person. we just gave it. If you don't know what it is, then I'm sorry. You know. I feel. I feel. I feel we've given you. We've handed you this. I mean, it's it's just right there. I think these are the easiest clues that we've ever given on our 40th episode. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about being our 40th episode. We've been here for 40. It is great. 40 years. We can't wait to do another 10. We're we're now going to do a like big cinema cinematic uh, uh uh what you would call it? party celebration. That's right. Um, you know we, we we've been here we've been here 40 episodes and um it's about consistency and it's about um you know loving what we do and we love this and we have a lot of fun um. You know, it's something that we get to share. You know, obviously, if you have something that you love, um, you know, go after it, go do it, and then uh, have the the benefit of discussing it with people that are family to you, which I'm very yep. fortunate to do with uh, Jonathan and um, and the rest of Truscalian. So, you know, um, we want to thank everyone really for um, continuing to support us and help us build our base as we go along. And um, yeah. That's that's really what I have to, to say about this. So keep keep listening. Uh, don't forget to like, share, uh, and subscribe. subscribe. All, and remember, the YouTube channel is coming. We're setting that up very soon. You're gonna have uh, access to an entire library of exactly what it is that we are doing. All right. Yeah. So that there. Uh, Again, I wish I could speak, but apparently I cannot speak this week. I'm just so awestruck by this movie. But that's it from us I, for I Cinema Magic. I wrong popcorn, bro. Uh, I haven't eaten popcorn yet today. That is my problem. That is your problem. That's All what right. I'm going to do. I'm going to go and do that. I'm going to go and eat some popcorn. You do too. Uh, that's it from us for Cinema Magic. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week.